This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. On Perak Choftes Posik Yud Dalid Parshas Nitzavim, we have Kesa Asher Yeshno Poi Manu Omeda Yom Lefnei Hashem Alokeinu Vasasher Inenu Poi Manu Ayom. Hakadosh Baruch Hu is not only making the bris with the people that were standing there, right outside, right around at that time. That's not the only person. Oh, look at this. We got another Zerker. Are we filled with Zerkermans here? Like, not only with the people standing there did Hakadosh Baruch Hu make this bris, but also with those who are not standing here today with those that are not with us here today. Now, who are these people that are not here today? Who are the people that we're referring to? Who are the people that are part of this person are automatically included, but they're not here? So Rashi says this refers to future generations, all the people in the future. Tagum Yonasen also says it refers to the generations that have existed from the beginning of time until the end of time. Literally, every soul that has existed from Adam Arishon up until the times of Tchias Amesim, every single person is considered there at that moment. That's how the Shach puts it. Targum Yonasen and the Shach. The Rush says the most definitely referring to their Nishamos being there. Since Omeid is not said by those who are standing there. It's something different. It doesn't say the same words. It's not Poimanu Omeid Ayom. It says Einenu Poimanu Ayom. They're not just standing there. So spiritually they're there, even though physically they're not. And he based this on the Medrash Tanchum and Paragimel. The Nishamos, the Nishamos of every person who has ever existed that is part of Klau Yisrael in some way, shape, or form, will be at that, was there at that verse itself. There are a few hints to this idea. The Rabbeinu Ephraim says that the word po is 85, the same as bimazolo. Bimazolo is in their mazel was there. Their neshama was there. He says the nigan proves this, and I have no idea what he means by that. Somehow the truck proves that, and I have no clue why the truck would mean that. The shach says, Einenu po imanu ayom, is 429. The same gematria is neshama levad, if you add the two words. The Mamloi says, the hint of the neshama is that there are those that are considered lifnei Hashem elokeinu, that are in front of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, but those are, that are not there are not lifnei Hashem elokeinu, as if to say their bodies aren't there, only their neshamas. But either way, regardless of how the, the soul, how we know that it's a soul, there is an absolute unbelievable thing here. The Yalka Ruveni says, those neshamos that were there, looked as they would in those future generations when they would be born. In other words, my neshama was there making this bris, and also at Har Sinai. My neshama was standing there making the bris with the Kaddish Baruch Hu, agreeing that I have to keep the Torah and do mitzvot. My neshama was there. But not only that, says the Al-Gurveni, my body was there as well. You would be able to see me, my face, my body, Everything was there at that moment. B'nai Yisrael didn't see them, he says, because they were distracted by the Shekhinah. They couldn't see the bodies of the people. But the bodies of the people were actually there. Not just the Nishamos, says the al It was their actual bodies that were standing there. And their desire to see HaKadosh Baruch Hu, they missed it. But all of them were right there in some type of physical form. That's crazy. Every single person was there. You must have seen, I, I can't even tell you, tens of millions of people, hundreds of millions of people. Was it a billion people from the beginning of time until the end? Every single neshama on their body. And don't ask me about Gogol and I have no idea what they're going to do. So you're going to ask me, right? I have no idea. But every single person in their form came. Tom Vidas, Rav Sternbach says the most amazing thing. He says, just like there are no two people that look alike, 
since everyone has their tsura, it's different from everybody else's, so too he says there are nishamos that are different according to the needs of what they, they're supposed to do and their mission in this world. Obviously, there's no appearance. Nishamas are not physical. But the nishamas' needs are different from other nishamas. And automatically, there's something totally different. Whatever form they take is engraved on the neshama itself, similar to eating food, where you're able to recognize within that person's stomach what he might have eaten, like a person who's a forensic scientist would be able to go into the person's stomach and figure out what he ate, so too the neshama, based on the tzur that he has, can be seen somehow within the neshama itself, and it's not only that, you could look at a person, you could see the same thing. You ever heard that the, the concept of a makobo looking at a guy's forehead and being able to see the different things that he's done in his lifetime? That's what this is referring to. Meaning, what they're able to see by looking at a person or looking at a neshama is the connection between the soul and the body. Something that's absolutely crazy that somehow connects to one another. Something that's there. And that, by the way, is the real, says Rosh Sternbach, scharva onish and olam haba. Think about this for a second. Everyone will be able to recognize everything you did in your lifetime just by looking at you. They will take one look at your neshama in Gan Eden. They'll take one look at your body in Tchiyas Amesim. And they'll see everything you've done. Everything. The mitzvos, the averos, everything, single thing about your body. That's schar ve'onish. That's the punishment that you're going to have to go through. It's as if to say... All the generations were involved in this bris. Every single one of them was there. And he says what Shlomo was going to ask before. Every tzura that the neshama has worn throughout the generations, that means every body that the neshama has had, that it's gone through in its gilgulim, etc., somehow they're all part of that very same neshama and they all appear within that neshama itself. I don't know how that works because I'm not a Mekobo. Next, the Ibn Ezra says, this does not refer to the Neshamos, as the Rishonim says, says the Ibn Ezra. He says, refers to the future generations that will follow, that the future generations, what we're referring to here. In other words, HaKadosh Baruch Hu was saying to the people that were there, accept this bris for yourselves and all those who will follow you. The same way that I guess a person could say that my children automatically are living a certain life because I'm living that life. Like, my children could say to me, it's not fair, Daddy. If you would have lived in Eretz Yisrael and Ben Abrak, then I would have grown up in Ben Abrak and I would be a different person. And I'd say, you're right. The decisions that I make messed over my children for life. Right? And I completely understand that. It's true about everybody. Every decision we make has an effect on our children for the rest of time. That always happens by everybody. Says the Ibn Ezra, this bris that they made is going to affect their children after them. The Sforno seems to say that as well. But the Bechor Shor says it doesn't refer to souls, and it doesn't refer to the people that are going to come later, the children that are going to be born later, but rather Gerim. He says it refers to the future Gerim of Klau Yisrael. They're not with us today. Meaning, people that are here, you guys are Klau Yisrael, but there are some people whose neshamos are not yet ready. Their neshamos will join us at some point later on. Those are the gerim, says the Bahor Shor. And the Rokeach says it's hinted to from the words, Ki es asher yeshno. Ki es asher yeshno. Those sofei tevis, the last letters, are Yisro. Yisro is going to join us. They're going to be a part of it. In fact, the Sefer of Pirkei Torah says this could even include Hasidei Umosa Olam. The nations of the world that are great people, that are not Megayer, not Megayer. They are included in this bris. That if they do what Hashem commands them to do, the Shev Mitzvah Noach, 
they're guaranteed a chilek in Olhaba. Back when I was a, um, a bachor in yeshiva, my Rebbe was stuck in a random place called Lubbock, Texas. He had a child who needed to go to a hospital there, so he was there by Lubbock, Texas. And he met there a group of Noahides, Bnei Noach. Bnei Noach, they were completely not Jewish, but they believed that the Jews were a real thing. They had never seen a from Orthodox Jew before. They had seen conservative reform, but they'd never seen a from Orthodox Jew in the flesh. They'd been, some of them had been to San Antonio or Houston or Dallas or whatever it is. I don't know where Lubbock is exactly. I think it's near San Antonio. But they'd never been. It was too far away. So he went there, and they started asking him questions. Like, he was around. He had to call Rebel Yashiv. Zetzal, who was alive at the time, and asked him what he was allowed to answer, what he wasn't allowed to answer, what are you allowed to tell? You're not supposed to tell anybody, just a, a bunch of different Torah. So he wasn't sure exactly what to do. At the end of the day, right, it, it, was, it was unbelievably crazy. These people are actually, they sat there, they would sit on Shabbos day, they would learn the Chumash, Arts Grow Chumashim. They were not Jewish for two to three hours at a time. Groups of these people just sitting and learning the Parsha of the week that the Jews would lane in their shoals on Shabbos. How many of us do that? How many of us are going through these parshas and they read through the English commentary on the bottom, going through Rashi and the Ramban and all the different perushim, going and understanding what's going on over here. Those are the types of chasidei umosa olam that might be included in this bris. They're not required to do 613 mitzvahs. Their chalik and olahab are there. And the reason why I bring up this story is because there was a time where he had, he, they asked him if he wanted to be part of a, a panel. And he wouldn't do it with other Jewish, you know, like reform or conservative Judaism, so as not to lend credence to the fact that they are, you know, like a part of Judaism. So he would only do it with other Christians. So he got there on the panel, and the question that was posed to all people of the panel was, do people who do not follow your religion get Olam Haba? And the first guy, a Protestant, got up there and he said, you got to understand, he has to do whatever, and a Lutheran, and then whatever. The other three were giving their own whatever it was. And he got up there and he said, yes, they do. They can. Does everyone get Olam Haba? It doesn't matter. They can get Olam Haba. There's no question. The Hasidi Olam might be included from this. The truth is, this is all Gemara. Kuf Men Bav Amin Aleph and Shabbos learns from this Pusik that this is included with the words that the Gerim are included from over here. And Kidu, the Panini Kedem suggests that it's hinted to in a Gemara in Kedushin Ayin Mabez where it says B'nai Yisrael have a Milo over everyone else by us. It's set, by us it says he'll be our God and he'll be our people. By Gerim it says V'hayu Lila Am and then V'niya Yelahem Lelokim. But here it says, I will be your God, and then afterward you'll be my people. So it says, it says, and then, which is what it should say for Gerim. So it sounds like since it says it in that way, the way that it does for Gerim, first you're my people, and then I'm your God, the way it does by Gerim, seemingly that this Pasuk is referring to Gerim over here. That's how he ends up saying it. There's a party Yosef that says there's an Apkamina. There's a difference between this. If it's true that the Gerim were there, is there a concept of Arvus with Gerim? Arvus is the concept that one Jew is responsible for the other. Everybody remembers when Yoshua and the people went into Eretz Yisrael for the very first time, they fought in Yericho, and they were told not to take any spoils. One guy, do you remember who he was? Who's the guy? Come on, there's got to be one person who went to seminary here. One person. Who's the guy who took the spoils at Yericho? One person. I'll give you a hint. He wrote Al-Kain Nekavalecha in Artsvilos. No? Think of the Rosh Tevis of Al-Kain Nekavalecha. Al-Kain Nekava. The first letter is an... <laughs> Achan. Achan is his name. Ayin Chof Nun. He wrote Al-Kain Nekava when he was doing tshuva before Yoshua. Yoshua wrote Aleinu L'Shabach. Achan wrote Al-Kain Nekava. Achan, right, stole from that stuff. All of B'nai Yisrael were punished. 
they lost against the next war against the I, which is the greatest name for any nation of all time, right? And they lost in that war because of Argus. They were responsible for one another, says the part of Joseph. If they were there at that time, are they part of that Argus? Are they part of that guarantee? Paul, what are you going to ask? I thought he only gave it back after Yeshua caught him with the Urimitumim. And then afterward, he's admitted to it, but it was too late. The Urimitum already caught him, and a Kurdish Baruch who said that person has to be burned. Yeah, what's up? By the way, as a timeout, it may be the only time in all of Tanakh where a person is actually burned by a fire. Not Sreifa as in pouring hot lead down his throat. He was thrown into a fire, him and possibly his kids. Yeah, Shlomo. I don't know. I, I guess not, assumingly not, but if you say that it's Chassidio Zolom from that Sefer Pirkei Torah, then yeah, in some way, shape, or form, it does apply to them. How? I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. But nonetheless, it seems to be there's something there. There's also an Abarbanel that says that it's just simple. We're including the people who couldn't walk there. Obviously, in a nation of three million people, some people aren't going to be able to make it there. Whoever wasn't able to make it there, those people are, we're saying, they're, they're also included, even though they're not there. And that's the simple answer to the text. So we got Rashi. We have Targum Yonazim Nuzil together with Rashi. We have the Ibn Ezra. We have the Bechor Shor about p- future Gerun. The Pirkei Torah referring to Hasidi Omos Olam. We have the Abarbanel who's saying that it's just the people that weren't there. But let's explain this a little bit. What does that mean? How can I accept a bris for other people and make it real? How can I do that for other people that it's automatic? So listen to this. The Mizrahi, Gurari, and the Ksabah Kabbalah all say that it cannot be that this line refers to other people the other people that did not make it to the assembly, against the Abarbanel. They say, it already says, Atem nitzavim ayom kochem. Atem nitzavim ayom kochem. You're all standing here. And it even goes through everybody. Right? Rashechem shivtechem. Ziknei Yisrael are there. Right? Koli Yisrael. And then it says, Tapchem nishechem. Gerach asher bekerav machenecha. They're all there. Every single person is there. So if they're all there, how could it be that some people aren't there? So it must be that it's future generations. But then he says, how can I make a brisk for people that weren't there? They would have to do it themselves, wouldn't they? Their physical bodies would have to accept it. Meaning every generation, HaKadosh Baruch should come down to us and say, are you sure you want this brisk? And we should re-accept it every generation. How can they do it for me? And it applies to me. How am I forced to keep 613 mitzvos and all the other things that come with it? That's just not fair. Why do I have to do that? So there's a bunch of answers to this question. I'm going to give four main ones and explain them all. Number one, fathers can accept a bris for children and grandchildren and cause them to be forced to do something for, through a family custom. Do I like the fact that I have to keep six hours between Fleshik's and Milchik's? No, it stinks. Right? We, have, we all have Milchik phobia in some way, Fleshik phobia in some way, shape, or form, right? Where we're all thinking like, but what if I have one ice cream later? But what if I want chocolate later? What if I want ice cream? Is there a single person that doesn't have that feeling when they're eating Fleshik? You guys are eating Fleshik right now. Is there no thought in your head of like, oh gosh, what if I wanted to go to Dairy Star after that? No thought whatsoever? No. Okay, one person. But everybody else, you have Fleshphobia. It's there. I know some people feel it with coffee. They're weird. But like other people, like they have that feeling of like what they want. They want to be just in case they're going to be milchik. I don't have a choice. My parents gave that to me and that's that. I'm not German. I'm not Amsterdamian. So therefore, I don't have anything that I can go with. I can't do the one hour thing. I can't do three hours. That's it. Pardes Yosef quotes a chasam sofer in Taurus Moshe. Listen to this. It says, every child is connected to their father up to a thousand generations. <laughs> By the way, from us to other Marishon is no more than 200 generations. No more than 200. Maybe it's a few more than that, but just think about it. You had 
go up to 1656, which is where the Mabul was, just think to yourself that Avram Avinu was alive in the year 1996, 2000, and whatever it is, and it's 5,700. You can do the math yourself. How many generations are there per 100 years? Four? Let's say there's four, maybe five, maybe five, right? Mm -hmm. Say 25 to 25 to 25 to 25. Let's say four, right? In 1,000 years, that's 10 times four. How many generations is that? 40. And then another, let's say there's 4,000 years, Okay, 40 times 4 is how many generations? I know this is hard numbers here, but that's only 160 generations. I can count myself back to Moshe Rabbeinu, not through my parents, but through my Rabbeim. I can count myself back to Moshe Rabbeinu. I'm number 130 on my list. 130, back to Moshe Rabbeinu. So there's not that many generations out there. And it's saying you're connected to your father up to a thousand generations. Rabbi Cheskov Astro used to spend a lot of time trying to understand his father's Divrei Torah. When he was asked why he spent so much time on it, what's the big deal if you don't understand this Divrei Torah? He says, when anything that a father is mechadish, any chiddish he comes up with, before he gives birth to that child, is automatically in that child, and that child was part of that Divrei Torah. Do you hear that? If my grandfather came up with a chiddush, I automatically have it inside me because I was born before he passed away. So it's automatic, my great-grandfather, I should say, was all together. So if he came up with a chiddush in Torah, it's automatically in me. I have it. It's there within my system. It's already there. So he said, I just have to fully understand them. I'm trying to understand them. We see this concept in other places as well. If an animal kills a person, it's forbidden to be brought to a Mizbeach, okay? If the animal was pregnant at that time, the baby can't be brought to the Mizbeach either. Why? Because it and its child were the ones that killed the person. That's the idea. He who blood the Nirvu is the concept that's brought up. We have Tamura. I mean, you know this, right? We have the concept, he who blood the Naghu. Each one. Uber Yarachimo. There's a concept that when the mother does something, when the baby's there, and here the chiddush is, it's that's even before the baby's there, it automatically goes to the child. And therefore, if I accept something upon myself, I make a bris, it's automatically my children, whether they like it or not. They have no choice. They're going to have it. Just like my physical DNA, my kids cannot change that. They're going to be beautiful, thank God. But it doesn't make a difference. Spiritually, the exact same thing will go into them. They have no choice. It's going to happen no matter what. Number two, the nishamos accepted the bris, and that works. It's not through the parents. Every nishamo was there, as we say in Rashi. Every single nishamo was there. They accepted, and that's good enough. So how does that work? How does a nishama accept a shvua? How does a nishama say, I'm in, I'm in? A physical body can say, I'm in. But a nishama? What does a nishama do to accept the bris, the os, the, the Allah that's being made for? So here, the Aznaim Torah says that a shvua is essentially connected to a neshama. Parshas Matos, it says, He makes an isr on him soul, on the nefesh. An isr is right there. In Daniel, we see a malach making a shvua. A malach doesn't have a physical body. How in the world can a malach make a shvua without a physical body? It must be that the neshama, the nefesh, a spiritual being, has the ability to swear, has the ability to accept a bris, to accept a shvua and Allah, even though there's no physical body combined with it. That's a crazy concept. That's what he says. It's an unbelievable idea from the Aznaim Torah. 
the Chassam Sofer says, there are two things that are very strange in this Pasuk. And this is a Chassam Sofer that I read, and I read again, and I read it a third time. And then I saw another Sefer that quoted it, so I read it a fourth time. I was not going to put it in this shear, but I'm like, holy cow, like if everybody's quoting it, I just, I, I don't fully understand it, but listen to this. It says, two things, two things are strange about this Pasuk. Number one, the physical people are considered standing before Hashem and dovuk to them. Physical people are not dovuk to Hashem. Their souls are dovuk to Hashem. Not the physical people. It should be the opposite. If you read this Pasuk, it should be, And those not with us, because they're in front of God. They're the Neshamos that are up in front of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That seems strange. That's number one. Number two, the Neshamos that would be born in the future have no shaykhs to Gashmias, and they're standing with people that are Gashmi. Granted, I know I told you the answer before, that they really had physical bodies, and their physical bodies were able to be seen if you wanted to see them. They were there at that time. That I was there. You were there. Your physical bodies were at Harsinai. And if you only knew, if you only recognized, you would know exactly where you were standing. The Apterov was said to have known exactly where he stood at Harsinai. He knew where he was. He knew he was standing next to you. I don't think he meant in a Gilgal. He meant he himself was there and knew exactly what he was doing over here, which means you have something over here, so he doesn't get it. The parties Joseph suggests that it can be understood from something else. And this is a crazy idea. Again, I read this three times, and then I read it a fourth time in another safer. I wanted to make sure I had this. I'm not positive I fully understand it, but I'll tell it to you what he says. The parties Joseph says, every Rosh Hashanah in Yom Kippur, the Neshamas of those that have already died join us in our tefillahs and are sitting in shul. If you feel a pressured feeling on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur and there's not a lot of people around you, the reason why is because there are tons of neshamos that are with you. The neshamos of those who have already died are sitting next to you, davening with you at the exact same time. Okay? Now he says... We can thus understand in a Gemara in Rosh Hashanah. I'll tell you, I, I, I never understood this Gemara. I never understood what it was talking about. The Malachim go to a Kodesh Baruch and they say, why don't we sing Hallel on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur? Why don't we do Hallel? We should sing praises. Don't tell me Rosh Hashanah is such, it, no, it's a sad time. Rosh Hashanah, we have, we have Simcha. We're sitting at our tables. We're eating meat, drinking wine. We're allowed to be besimcha. Nehemiah even gave muster to the people, telling them, you guys are fasting on Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is about being mesameach. You should be happy on Rosh Hashanah. What are you guys sad for? So clearly it's a happy time. Why are we not saying hollow? What is the Yom Kippur? What about hollow? So here's what a Kaddish Baruch Hu answers. He said, the Sifrei Chaim, the Sifrei Mesim are open in front of me. And you want them to sing Shira? Sifrei Chaim is Sifrei Mesim. But that doesn't make any sense. Again, we're partying half the day. Yes, we're in Shoal until 1, 1 o'clock, 1.30 in the morning. But we're partying, we're having a Suda for the rest of the day. We're sitting there, we're eating, we're drinking, we're singing, we're having a simcha. It's not Yom Kippur. Rosh Hashanah is a day of simcha. What in the world is that answer? The answer is not answering the question. They asked, why aren't they saying hallel? Because it's an awesome day. And the answer was, because the Sifri Chaim and Sifri Mason are open in front of them. But I get it now. Do you get it from this part of Yosef? Seems like a Kaddish Baruch was saying, right, the idea behind it is that no, the books of the live people and the books of the dead people are open in front of me. This is not the book of life that I get written into and the book of death that I chas v'sholem would be written into. The books for all the people that are alive are open in this day for them to get a judgment. And the books of all those that are dead are open in this day. They can't say hallel. If they would go to shul, there would be a whole part of shul that they wouldn't be able to do. They wouldn't be able to sing hallel. 
So if they're going to be there in Shul, do you hear this? If the dead are going to be in Shul, and the Sifrei Mesim are open in front of HaKadosh Baruch Hu to decide what's going to be with the Mesim, that they get to daven, so to speak, to improve their Tikkunim, to get whatever they need for their Neshama, you can't say Halal on Rosh Hashanah. Is that unbelievable? Have you ever heard that before? You've heard about you know, the Neshamas of loved ones being at a wedding. You've heard that. Have you heard that the neshamas of somebody who died are with you in Shoal and Rosh Hashanah and Kippur? I've never heard it before, but he quotes it from the Chassam Sofer. And he says he uses that then to answer up this question over here. He says we see that conceptually from this, from this idea that neshamas can be with us even when they're not there. They can have shaykhs to us. They can have shaykhs to us even when they're not there. They can daven in some way, shape, or form even with us not there, with us not noticing them. So in such a way, maybe that could be applied here, that somehow the neshamas can accept it without any problem whatsoever. That's how the part of Yosef answers it. That is mind-boggling. And frankly, a little scary. A little scary. That we're standing next to somebody. The chidah says we usually say by a child who is megayer, that when he grows up, he has the ability to protest. You have a five-year-old that accepted a gerus upon himself. You have to re-ask at 12 for a, by a girl, 13 at, by a boy, to see if they really want to accept it. Shouldn't the body have the ability to protest when the neshama accepted it? Meaning, my neshama accepted it at Harsinai and at the bris that they made now in the 40th year of the midbar. Shouldn't, when I'm born in a body, I should automatically get up and say, no, I, I don't want this. Just like a 13-year-old can protest what he did when he was a little kid, why can't that happen over here? Why can't the, the body complain and say, I don't want it? So he says a crazy thing. When it comes to the body, we're like combining answers here. The body, the body already accepted the bris from my grandparents. My great, 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 great grandparents were there at Harsinai. They accepted it, so my body accepted it. My neshama was there, so my neshama accepted it. So later on, when my neshama meets my body in the year 1979, right? They met each other like, hey, hey, or, uh, I accepted the bris already. My parents accepted the bris already. I'm done. I can't protest anymore. Isn't that unbelievable? That's how the Chida puts it. And it's too late. There's nothing you can do about it. I, I don't know if there is a comparison to that anywhere else. I don't know if there is anything like that anywhere else. But it's a crazy, crazy concept. Okay, number three. Everybody knows the concept. Aim based in Mevatul, Divrei based in Chavero, Elin King, Gadomir, Bechachmo, Beminion. One based in cannot annul the words of another based in unless they're greater. If Moshe Rabbeinu's based in caused B'nai Yisrael to accept the Torah, we can't beat that. There's nothing we could do. Like, we could complain all we want, but there's no way to defeat it until we have someone greater than Moshe Rabbeinu. You, you know anybody greater than Moshe Rabbeinu? I don't know a single person. Even Rebbe Kiva. Even Rebbe Kiva. Because Rebbe Kiva, Moshe Rabbeinu went to the Shir, but in the end, Rebbe Kiva had to answer a question by saying, Halach Moshe Misinai. So even Rebbe Kiva would say, I'm, I'm not. I have nothing. There's no one as great as that, and you're done. Moscow Ludovic calls this a dochek answer. It's the Gurari's answer, the Maral's answer, but he doesn't like the answer whatsoever. He says, I don't like it. But the fourth answer is from the Be'er Basada, based on a Shiori Knesset Yoridea Simen Reish Chafchas. says, since they accepted the Torah with an oath, that would automatically be chal on their descendants. Now, look, a shvua is not chal on my descendants. If I swear to do something, like, for example, if I, I don't want to give myself, it's not good because you're saying you're going to die. If Ruvain swears that he's going to bring a korban, and then Ruvain dies, his son, Chanoch, would not have to bring a korban even with his father's money. Ruvain had the oath, but Ruvain's dead. Nobody else takes on that oath. But a cherem would be. If Ruvain would accept upon himself a cherem, 
he will never eat Reese's peanut butter cups. Chas v'shalom. Then that automatically could go to his kids. If he said, me and my descendants will never eat, that would be a cherem. And he accepts it upon himself, it would go to his children. That can go to the children itself. It's based on Simon Reish and Yordea. There are some exceptions to it, obviously. But that's the idea that possibly could be used over here. Shlomo, yeah. A little louder, a little louder. For sure, we see something. The question is what? That was a specific bris. It wasn't even, it was a bris that they made with each other that their descendants wouldn't hurt each other, right? That was the bris. But note that later on, David Melech broke that bris. That's the reason why the, 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 their future descendants, the Yavusim, had the, the, deaf, um, the deaf, no, the blind idol and the lame idol outside of their town to represent Yitzchak and Yaakov that they could never fight against them. And David didn't care and fought anyway, claiming they had broken it first. So apparently there are ways of getting around it. But yeah. That, that's true, but I, is, that, is that okay? I mean, I have a shvua and that to do something. They broke it, so I can break it now? Like, this is a Nachal Shimon type of question. You know, on Navi, like, that, that's a Nachal Shimon type of question. I don't know. I have, but number two, yeah. There is, I, I, I don't know, if you say that some people weren't there at the time, and yet everybody was accepting it, it could be that Basin was accepting it for all those people that weren't there. Maybe that's the concept, that they were accepting it for everybody who wasn't able to be there. But I don't know. I, honestly, I don't know. It's not really a Basin, you're right. But whatever the Basin would have been, the concept of everybody taking it together, maybe that's going to be. Maybe. Maybe, maybe not. I hear you. I just don't, I don't have a guarantee for that. Like I, yeah, maybe. I, I just don't know. But then we get to the Malvim, guys. The Malvim, oh my gosh. I, I saw it at first and I'm just like, oh, it's only three pages. Not so bad. The Malvim is like a thousand pages. There's two parts to the Malvim over here. And the Malvim goes on and on about this. He goes at length. That's the best way that I can describe it. Wondering how a parent could accept a major decision like this for his descendants, even if they, even if they did know about it. How can a person do this? As Moshe told them to have their descendants in mind, etc. We believe, he says, that our neshamos have lived forever. That our neshamos do not die. They entered our bodies when we were born. But the neshama always existed. And the neshama always will exist because it's always part of a Kodesh Baruch Hu. It's connected to a Kodesh Baruch Hu in some way, shape, or form. Okay, that's what we understand. These neshamas, therefore, were obviously present when the Torah was given, when the verse was made. They accepted the Torah upon themselves, even though, he says, souls cannot accept the Torah upon themselves, like Malachim. Ben Yisrael retained that koach within their DNA, so it went through. So that's not so bad. That's everything that we said up until now. But he said, the other answer is, is that the only time that a father can't accept something for a child is when it's a chov, when it's something bad for them. A schus is automatic in zakin la'adam shlobafanov. You can make a schus for a person even if he's not there. So you can lead them in the right direction. If this is the way that a Kaddish Baruch wants the world to work, then 100% you'd be able to do it, and that should be it. He goes on, and he says a bunch of them, talks about Kapalai and Harkigigis. But then he says, from Sefer HaGilgulim, yes, the Malvin quotes Sefer HaGilgulim, he says, all the Neshamos of Klal Yisrael are connected to one another on one big tree, known as the Eitz HaChayim. The Eitz HaChayim, the Eitz HaChayim, 
The Eitz Chaim is that tree that connects everybody together. This tree has roots and branches, obviously the trunk as well. And one neshama has the ability to include others with it. Because one neshama could be the start of a brand new branch with leaves and everything hanging off it. The leaves representing future children, Talmidim, etc. that might be connected to your soul in some way, shape, or form. Which is why everyone's connected to Moshe Rabbeinu, who is their Rebbe, and thus our Rebbe as well. So to speak, Moshe Rabbeinu is the root behind this tree. The root that allows everything to go through. Therefore, there are neshamos of all of Dora Midbor that were standing there, all of them chained together, connected through one neshama that was doing everything for them, and that was Moshe Rabbeinu. Technically, Moshe Rabbeinu himself, accepting this upon himself, would cause the whole tree to accept this bris together, because we are all connected to that soul of Moshe Rabbeinu. You've heard the concept where Moshe Rabbeinu's neshama is in every generation? And it's true. Every bit of Torah that you ever say is connected to Moshe Rabbeinu. It's attributed back to Moshe Rabbeinu because we're all just a chilek and a part of what Moshe Rabbeinu originally did. That was the point of bringing them all together. Atem nitzavim ayom kulcham. You're all together with me today. You know why? To show them that they're all connected to one another. They have arbus physically and spiritually by accepting the Torah together. A min, a guy who's off the derech, once asked the rov, he said, if you guys hold achrei rabim lahatos, you go after the rov, you should go after the majority. If you hold that way, then why wouldn't you go after the majority of the world? The majority of the world keeps, uh, let's say Christianity, I don't even know if that's true anymore, but the majority of the world goes one way, why wouldn't you go with the majority? But certainly the majority of the world does not keep Judaism. They're not Jews. So why wouldn't you go with the majority and knock out your mute? Wouldn't that be what you hold? Now, there's a lot of answers to that question, right? Rabbi Yehonas and Eibschitz, Yehonas and Eibschitz said, we only go after the robe if there's a suffolk. There's no suffolk here, so why should we go after anything? That's one thing he said. Number two, you only go after the robe when there's a bunch of smart people against a bunch of smart people. If you have a bunch of smart people going up against a bunch of dummies, you don't count the dummies as a robe. Right? And he said, we're the smart people, you're the dummies, whatever it is. You understand, I just is the best. You know what I'm saying? Like, you understand, I just had those jokes that, like, you have to pay attention to because if you don't hear it, like, he's sitting across from a priest, right, and a table in between them. And the priest is like, what's the difference between, you know, a Jew and a dog? And he said, this table. You get it? He's like, get it. Sitting across. Get it right there. Right? I, he's quick. He's quick. He's got it. You know what I'm saying? Like, he had all those things. Anyway... The men asked him that, and he asked him why. Listen to this answer, okay? The Malvim says, he answered, the other nations are known as Nifashos. Klau Yisrael is known as Shivim Nefesh. They are all individuals. We are all together as one. They don't have a majority. Every single one of them has a different opinion. There might be two billion Christians out there. It's not two billion Christians. It's one Christian and another Christian, 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 that all together are two billion people. But they're not the majority, they're all individuals. Klau Yisrael, although we're counted as one, we are, whatever, one million strong, three million strong, twelve million strong, however many Jews there are in the world today. Since we are the rove, because everybody else in the world are individuals, therefore we go with the real rove, and that's us. Isn't that a brilliant idea? The concept is, we're all part of this tree. We're all part and parcel with this one tree. Our rove, they're all a sapling here, a sapling there, a sapling there, a sapling. They're all different. 
Every single one is different. It's not just one tree with all the different branches coming. We are the one tree, the eighth Chaim in the middle of the Gan of Gan Eden. Well, all of them are the other trees that are out there. You get the concept, the symbolism of what Adam Rishon did, why HaKadosh Baruch Hu took him out so that the eighth Chaim could have a chance to live in a different way by Klal Yisrael to be able to keep the Torah and everything that's out there. That's the idea. And he adds, he goes on, there are many neshamos that are caught by the klipos. They were unable to release themselves. Klipos are the forms of tumah that HaKadosh Baruch Hu allows in this world that grabs those neshamos of Kedusha and holds them back. They weren't able to bring them to the spots where they were standing with all Bnei Yisrael. There were some neshamos that couldn't make it there. Because there were some neshamos that were in other nations that were around them that weren't able to make it there. Our point of Gullus, the reason why we're in America right now, is to grab those sparks of Kedusha hidden throughout within the nations of the world and to bring it back with us so that everybody understands it. It's not like, I hate to say it this way, guys, but like when Mashiach comes, it's not like everybody, it's going to be peace throughout the world, everything's going to be happy. The only reason why there's peace is because we're able to find that Kedusha and bring it back so that all the Kedusha is all in one place and everybody is connected to it, everybody Everybody wants to be there. So we're all surrounding that Kedusha. That's why the world is going to be at peace. Because nobody cares about anything else anymore. They just want to be part of their neshama, whatever they have. They did that in Mitzrayim. That's why they made it like a Mitzula She'en Bodagan. A Mitzuda She'en Bodagim. They were able to take out all the tomb of that world and make it into something also. It is possible that he says, Estashur Yeshnopo refers to the neshamas that have already been taken out of the Klipos and are in a good place at that time. Those that aren't with us are the neshamos caught in the klipos that we haven't gotten back yet. Hashem is accepting the bris for the neshamos that were there, connected, part of Kedusha, part of Dora Midbor, those that were there, and then there were other people that will come in the future. Guys, do you remember what, how I said it before? There's an opinion the Bukhor Shor, the Gemara Shabbos Kufman Bav, that says that it refers not to neshamos, not to the people that didn't make it, but to Gerim. This is what it means by Gerim. Gerim does not necessarily mean those people joined Klal later on. It meant the Nishamos that were caught elsewhere that eventually were misgalgil into Klal that we have right now. That's the concept. It is absolutely unbelievable. That's what he says is referring to over here. And there he goes into our job, which is, look, every time you make a bracha in your office, at a park, in a zoo, hopefully, any place you go, you are causing Kedusha to come with you. When you're stuck at an airport and you have no choice but to daven in a super weird place, you are sent there by a Kaddish Baruch Hu to daven in a spot that needed a tikkun that without you would remain Tameh forever. Your job in Gullus is to find those places and to be Makadish them. <laughs> Sometimes they're in the strangest places out there. But you will find yourself in a place where, guaranteed, no one has ever made a bracha before in their lives. Bracha before ever. You will find yourself in certain places where you can do it, and you can be metaking everything in that, in that world, in that island, in that, that city. It's all you. You're able to do it with one bracha, as long as you may remember to make it. As long as you remember to make it properly. 
That's what the Malbim says over here. And this was an influence, Victor Miller, to finish this off. Those that were present at that time were so deeply influenced by what they saw and what they had, it was automatic that their children would want to keep it. It's automatic that all of B'nai Yisrael were into this. And when the next generation came up, they didn't say, not fair. They didn't call out, it's not fair. We never accepted the British. We never said this for ourselves. They said, of course. This is what we wanted to do. This is exactly what we're set up for. Our bodies, our souls, somehow together came about to be able to accept it upon themselves and do something which honestly was the greatest thing that ever happened to us ever before in our lives, which ends with the Chavetz Chaim. All the Nishamos that were there, each one of them took their Chelek in Torah as well. Vesein Chalkeinu Vesora Secha. Where do we say that? Vesein Chalkeinu Vesora Secha. At the end of Shimon Esther. Vesham Nabodcha Kamaniyos. We say those words because you really do have a Chelek in Torah that nobody else is going to have. You're going to find something. You're going to have something that's going to be yours and it's going to be awesome. He says, says the Chavetz Chaim, that's exactly what you have. You have something that nobody else is going to have. And that's why your neshama, even if it wasn't able to be there, your body wasn't able to be there, something was there. Something was connected. Something had a connection to Har Sinai, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and hopefully at some point, maybe we'll just see what that comes out to. We'll see when Mashiach comes, what your soul really was meant to be. Have a good Shabbos, everybody.